Pastor Rick is uh, camping this weekend, and uh, so I'm filling in again, and I'm, I'm picking up what would have been scheduled for last Sunday in Psalm 130. Psalm 130 is another one of these Psalms of Ascents. Rick did one of these a couple of weeks ago and explained that there was a group of Psalms that were sung uh, as pilgrims, we think anyway, as pilgrims were traveling up to the city of Jerusalem for some of the uh, major festivals that would go on during the year, like the uh, Day of Atonement, for example. And so these uh, psalms were sung as these pilgrims were preparing themselves to bring their offerings and their worship before God, before His temple. And this particular psalm of ascent is itself uh, a kind of an ascending psalm. It begins very low and it ends very high on a real high mountaintop. Uh, this psalm is a lament, and uh, you've heard me call lament psalms a boohoo psalm. It's you know it's a cry. It's it's uh, a psalm that's uh, written when something has gone wrong. Things are not as they should be. But this particular psalm of lament is also one of the penitential psalms, and and by that we mean that. Things have gone wrong because of something that I've done. It's because I've broken God's laws, because I've sinned that I've gotten into this mess that makes me lament and write this lament psalm. And so uh, it's a psalm of confession, a psalm of uh, agreeing with God that what I've done is wrong and trying to make it right. Uh, And so this is a psalm about how to get things right with God when I personally made them wrong. And, uh, you know, this is one we get a lot of opportunity to apply, at least in my experience. So let's uh, let's look at Psalm 130. Why don't we stand up together and uh, let's read it uh, as a congregation. And uh, it's a short psalm, just seven verses. Uh, Let's join with me as I read it. Out of the depths I cry to you, O Lord. O Lord, hear my voice. Let your ears be attentive to my cry for mercy. If you, O Lord, kept a record of sins, O Lord, who could stand? But with you there is forgiveness, therefore you are feared. I wait for the Lord, my soul waits, and in His word I put my hope. My soul waits for the Lord, more than watchmen wait for the morning, more than watchmen wait for the morning. Israel, put your hope in the Lord, for with the Lord is unfailing love. And with him is full redemption. He himself will redeem Israel from all their sins. Good, thank you. You may be seated. I grew up, uh, I think most of you know, in North Dakota on a farm. And adjacent to our farm was a lake. We owned part of that lake. And I would often go and swim in that lake. There was a part of the lake that my parents would always warn me about. They would say, now don't go over there because, and they would explain the story. In the 1930s, the lake was dry and people would come and they would take gravel and sand out of the lake. And so there are holes over there. Uh, And so if you go over there, you might fall in a hole and drown. And I was frequently warned about that. But uh, I don't know, a kid about second grade, something like that, I went over there. And I went swimming in that area, and I wandered out into there, and sure enough, just like my parents said, there was a hole. And so, next slide, there we go. Uh, I stepped into a hole. And, uh, you know, to this day, I think I was maybe uh, six, seven years old, I don't know, but I still very much remember that experience of walking along, and all of a sudden, you know, this, this thing just sort of dropped off, and I'm going down, 
and there's nothing under my feet and I'm clambering down the water comes over my head and I can't swim and I'm panicking and it's just like that verse says out of the depths I cry to you O Lord hear my voice and so uh, you know it's you know you're I feel like I'm drowning I think this is it and a great fear as the water covers over my head and so this is a, a psalm about those times in our life where we slip down that slope into the holes. We get into those spots where we begin to fear, uh, feel despair and despondency. Out of the depths, the psalmist says, I cry to you, O Lord. Lord, hear my voice. Let your ears be attentive for my cry for mercy. Um, next slide. You know, I think it's a, a good idea sometimes to, to get an idea of how is it that we get in those holes? How does that happen? How is it that we slide down and slip into those pits, into those places uh, where sin gets the upper hand in our life and we find ourselves in despair and in bondage and, and, uh, and struggling with sin in our life? Well, I think the book of Judges gives us a pretty good picture of that. It it lays out for us in, uh, in the outline of the book. The book itself is a, is a series of cycles, seven downward cycles of, of phases that the nation of Israel went through as they continually fell into sin, repented, pulled out, fell back into sin, repented, pulled out. And each time it got worse and worse and worse. And so that cycle that you find in the book of Judges... Uh, here, I, I pulled this slide off of a, another uh, a teaching tool I had, but we'll start with number five. It starts oftentimes with silence. It starts with a time in our lives when things are going well. When it seems like, uh, you know, I'm getting along fine. I, I'm providing for myself. Life is going along just fine. I, I don't really have any problems in my life. And what begins to happen is we begin to develop... A, a sense of, of, of self-dependence. We begin to think, I can do this without God. I don't need God in my life. I'll, I'll be just fine. And so, you know, the time in the Word kind of slips off and time in fellowship with other believers kind of slips away and we get very busy with the things of this, of this life and of this world. Not bad things. Just, just very busy with a lot of other things other than God. And so it's in that time of of silence and of complacency that most often we begin, just like the nation of Israel, to get, begin to neglect God and then we slip into sin and the bondage that it brings. Okay, next slide. Uh, when I thought about this uh, crying from the depths and I was thinking about the image, one of the th first things that popped into my mind after falling into that hole when I was a kid was from the um, Pilgrim's Progress. I don't know how many of you have ever read that book, but in it... Uh, Christian, the pilgrim, falls into the, what the book calls the slough of despond. And uh, that phrase somehow has always really stuck in my mind. And whenever I get kind of uh, down or I'm feeling sort of depressed or I'm feeling like I'm in one of these, these times when God is far from me, uh, that's the phrase that comes into my mind. I'm, I'm in this slough of despond. And and just the image that that book created really has kind of captured me. This old woodcut shows the picture of Christian trudging across this thing, fighting to get out of it on his own, and pliable, his partner giving up, climbing out, and going back home and forgetting the whole thing. And so it's these times of silence and complacency and self-dependence 
that set us up for times when we begin to not depend on God, not walk with God. And then sin begins to creep into our life and we end up with that kind of cold, hard crust on our heart. God seems very distant and far from us, but it's not because He moved away from me. It's because I've run away from Him. And then the, the servitude, the bondage that comes with that, that, that sense of being stuck in this place and, the, and the, the distance that God feels away from us. And out of that comes this cry, Lord, mercy, a supplication, a, a cry for help. Okay, next slide. Um, and so in this psalm, there, there's this picture of ascent into this hole. Uh, that many of us find ourselves in. Now, whether or not you're, you've never really begun your walk with God or you've been at it for years, uh, we can all be in that place. We can all slip into this slew of despondency, this, this hole, these depths of separation from God. And this psalm, I think, gives us the ascent. What's the way out of this place? What's the path? to a, a plenteous and full redemption that it's talked about in the last verses of this psalm. And it's going to lay that out for us as we, as we look and study through it together. Um, okay, next psalm. Uh, now, the, the place that you might think that we would go to get out of a hole like this might be, well, just like I did to get out of my hole when I fell in that, in that hole in the lake was to clam, clamber, to flail, to kick to claw, to dig, to work, to fix, whatever it is. You know, the way I got in here was a mistake. i got to work hard to dig my way out of it. And uh, so that's our first reaction as self-dependent human beings when we fall into these places, is to dig ourselves out. But that's not what the psalmist says. That's not the way out, according to the psalmist. He says, If you, O Lord, kept a record of sins, O Lord, who could stand? But with you there is forgiveness. Therefore, you are feared. The first step, next slide, is forgiveness. We can't climb out of these holes. We need a hand up. The psalmist says, if God kept a record of sins, who could stand? Well, the fact of the matter is, God does keep a record of sins. God does keep a record. The Old Testament law is a record of God's rules, a God's standard of how it is that we need to live. And we get a sense of His holiness and His righteousness. And we kind of lay our lives up against that record, that list. And we go on down the line and check off that list. And what we find is that on every score, on every point, we check off that we don't measure up to God's standards. God does keep a record. And we don't stand. We do not hold up under that kind of scrutiny. And so a sin against an infinite and perfect God requires more than what any of us can pay. I owe a greater debt because of my sin than what I can afford to pay back to God. And so I can't fix my problem, my separation, my distance from God in my own ability. And so clamber and flail and scrape and dig and kick all you want. You don't get out of this hole by your hard work. 
There's an awful lot packed in these little verses. This essentially is uh, the gospel. Uh, Luther called this Psalm 130 uh, one of the Pauline Psalms. And what he meant by that was, you know, Paul could have written this. This could have been something that you pulled right out of the book of Ephesians or Galatians. Uh, This is the New Testament message of the gospel. There's a little gospel presentation called Do Versus Done. And it kind of goes like this. If you're talking to somebody, you would say, how do you spell religion and how do you spell Christianity? And to say that religion is spelled D-O, do. You never know if you've ever done enough. Uh, Religion is that clamoring. It's that struggle to make right what's wrong in our life through our own effort. And that's our doing. But there's never enough. We can't do enough to make right what's been made wrong because of our sin. But Christianity, the Gospel, is spelled D-O-N-E, done. Because Jesus Christ has done for us what we could never do for ourselves. He's paid the complete and total penalty for our sins by His death on the cross. Ephesians 1 says that in Him we have redemption through His blood, the forgiveness of sins in accordance with the riches of God's grace. It's doing versus what's already been done. So it's not clamoring and digging to make things right, to get out of that distance that you feel from God. That's not where you begin. The place to begin is with forgiveness. It's receiving what's been promised to us. What we already have in our possession. It's laying hold of the forgiveness that Jesus Christ offers to us. Now you'll note also in this in verse 4, uh, it says that with you there is forgiveness, and then therefore you are feared. Here's a result of laying hold of the forgiveness that God has for us. The result is a reverential fear of God. And, and I get that. I understand that. That makes sense to me. That's been true in my experience that when, when I have really laid hold of that forgiveness, when I have I've applied it to my life where I failed God and I, and I wasn't able to make it right, but I was able to just come to Him and say, you know, Lord, I, I failed. I, I'm wrong. I've, I've let you down. And then you've experienced that loving acceptance of God not, not because of what you've done, but totally in spite of it. Just because of who He is. Because He is a forgiving and gracious God. It wells up in your heart a reverential fear, a respect for who this Creator is, what He is like. This is a God that I must worship and that I must serve with all of my heart. The ascent of full redemption begins not with what we do, but with what Jesus Christ has done for us. And so just as that first step was kind of a surprise, it's not doing, it's taking hold of something that's been given to us as a free gift, laying hold of forgiveness. The next step is also a a, a kind of a surprise. The next step um, is waiting, according to the psalmist. It's waiting and watching. Let's read verses 5 and 6. The psalmist writes, I wait for the Lord. My soul waits, and in His word I put my hope. My soul waits for the Lord. More than watchmen wait for the morning. And then he repeats that to emphasize that. 
you know, a watchman that's waiting for the morning. I mean, this could be uh, any a modern day watchman. This would be true of a person who is watching through the night, uh, maybe standing guard at, at uh, some business uh, with his nightstick and his flashlight. And he comes to work at about 11 o'clock at night. And his job is to just kind of keep track of things around this place as long as it's dark. And so he wanders the halls and he waits and he watches. And he's patient and he knows that his shift will end, that the morning will come. The morning always comes. The sun always rises. And so the, the watchman is assured that he will complete his shift and that it will end uh, and that uh, the end of his, of his time will come. He will see the sun rise. And so the person who is waiting in faith, who... Um, has the promise of the Word of God, who knows who God is, who has experienced his, his, his forgiveness and now waits for the full fellowship and an enjoyment of, the, of a relationship with God, knows that that will come. As sure as the sun rises every day, if the sun rises and we are assured of the promise of the rising sun, so we are assured of the promises of God that He loves us and that if He extends His forgiveness to us. With it comes His full fellowship and the fullness of the relationship restored in our lives as well. There's a beautiful illustration of this, I I, I think. It just sort of captures the spirit of this. Um, It's from the West Indies. Uh, In the year 1830, and I'll just read it to you. In the year 1830, on the night preceding the 1st of August, the day the slaves in our West Indian colonies were to come into possession of the freedom promised them. Many of them, we are told, never went to bed at all. Thousands and tens of thousands of them assembled in their places of worship, engaging in devotional duties and singing praises to God, waiting for the first streak of the light of the morning of that day in which they were to be made free. Some of their number were sent to the hills from which they might obtain the first view of the coming day and by a signal intimate to their brethren down in the valley the dawn of the day that was to make them men. And no longer as they had hitherto been mere goods and chattels, men with souls that God had created to live forever. How eagerly must these men have watched for the morning. See, they believed in their redemption. They believed in all that their redemption would, would bring. And they waited and they sought for it. And they, they climbed up on the hill so that the sun would rise a little quicker in the morning. So they would lay hold of everything that belonged to them because of what had been purchased and given back to them. The freedom that belonged to them. If they would wait like that for their freedom on this earth, how much more ought we to lean forward, eagerly waiting for the full redemption that belongs to us in Jesus Christ. Let's read verses 7 and 8. Israel, put your hope in the Lord, for with the Lord is unfailing love, and with Him is full redemption. He Himself will redeem Israel from all their sins. We find ourselves in one of those pits, and we find that the way out of that pit is just to grab hold of the hand of Jesus Christ that's always extended. I mean, he, he makes the promise. If, if we confess our sins, 
He is faithful and righteous to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So the hand is always there. It's just a matter of, am I going to get miserable enough in the pit to say, Lord, I, I need out of here. Help me. And we cry out and we grab a hold of that hand and He pulls us out. And we wait for Him and we seek for Him and as we do, He reveals Himself to us and we find His unfailing love, His faithful love for us. The Old Testament word is hesed. It's this covenant love that God had with His people. It was based on His promise. And so we, they began to experience the unconditional, complete and total love for us. And then with it, this thing that, that the psalmist calls full redemption. Now, I'm not exactly sure what that is. And uh, uh, next slide, as I think about what redemption means... Yeah, let's go to the next one. Uh, redemption is the purchasing back of something that has been lost by the payment of a ransom. But along with that, redemption is a freedom from bondage. And just as those slaves were, were given freedom, they were redeemed from their slavery and given their freedom, along with that redemption came an experience, a fullness of experience, a fullness of life that a free person now can lay hold of. So redemption is also a freedom from bondage gain because someone paid my debt and set, set me free. Freedom, uh, redemption is a weight lifted, a relationship restored, a fear dissolved, or all of the different things that it, what it might mean to a person who has been redeemed by Jesus Christ out of sin. Redemption means that things are put back the way they were supposed to be. The fullness of redemption, it would seem to me, would mean everything that God meant for life to be for a human being. We've fallen into sin because of our disobedience. God wants to restore us to everything that, was, that, that He meant for us. And that's the full redemption that God has for us. The things should be, will be as they should be. So I, you know, I think this is time for a checkup. A time to look at our hearts. Now if you're here this morning and you find yourself in the slew of despondency, if you're in one of those holes and one of those pits, you feel that way. You feel like, you know, you know that you've sinned and that you've drifted away from God and you, 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 that's the way you feel. And you don't like it, and you feel the bondage of it, and you want out of it. Well, I've got really good news. Uh, you are at just the place you need to be. Because in that spot, uh, you can begin to reach out your hand, and Jesus Christ is already reaching His to yours. Just grab on to it. He's offering you forgiveness. A clean slate. Don't clamber, don't climb, don't try to, to fix things. You can't fix things. Grab on to Him and His forgiveness. If you confess your sins, you agree with Him about your sins, then He is faithful and righteous and He will forgive your sins and He'll cleanse you of all unrighteousness. It's okay. It's okay. Whatever you've done, it's okay. Just confess it. Grab on to His hand. Let Him pull you out. And start walking with Him again. You know, start get back in the Word. Start reading your, the Bible and start praying again. It's okay. Come boldly into His presence. Start worshiping Him again. That's the process of waiting. Cry out for mercy. Take hold of His forgiveness. Develop that reverential fear, and then begin to hopefully wait and pursue Him. 
Now, I've got another question. You know, if you're that way, if you're in that pit and you know that, that's good. That's really, that really is. That's good. What about the rest of us? What if, what if we're just kind of happy with the way we are? Um, is it possible that God has more for us than what we have experienced? That there is a greater fullness to the redemption than what we've laid hold of just yet? And is it possible that we are complacent and that we are living in uh, you know, a time of, of silence? It's good enough. And I'm getting along, and, uh, you know, it's okay. But is it everything that God has for us? And that, this is just the challenge that I received as I was meditating on this passage. And as I meditated on, what is the fullness of redemption? You know, I don't think I know. And what, it, what, what challenged me was the thought that, well, of course there's more. It's God. Of course there's more. And the question that I had to ask myself was, am I hungry for that? Am I still hungry for more of the fullness of His redemption? And I think I, I realize I've got to grab onto that hand too. I've got to grab onto that forgiveness. And I've got to recommit myself to waiting and watching. Because I know the sun will rise. And if there's more in God, then of course there's more. He's God. And I want the more. I don't want to be complacent. I don't want to be satisfied. If there's more God, I want more. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, thank you for your word. It challenges us and reminds us that there's, there's probably more. And uh, Lord Jesus, we've got to ask this morning before you, are we settling? Have we settled for what we have of you? And Lord Jesus, if there's anyone here that really is in that pit and they feel it and they know it, uh, Lord, I know that you have that forgiveness, that you're just... You're just eager to pour out on them. You're ready to give it if they'll just ask. If we confess our sins, you are faithful and righteous to forgive and to cleanse. That's the promise. We, we grab onto that. And you pull us up. And Lord Jesus, though, if, if there's more to the fullness of redemption than what I've laid a hold of, then Lord Jesus, I want to grab your hand and I want you to pull me up to the more, not to be complacent not to be satisfied, not to be content, but to keep finding all that there is in you and of course there's more. Thank you, Jesus, for your word and for its challenge. In your name we pray.